it's really good to see you all. If we haven't met before, my name's Phil. I'm married to Vicky. We've got our daughters, Rosie and Lydia, who you probably heard during your interview. I apologize. It's been a really long day for them. We were at Enfield Town Community Church up in North London, another one of our partner churches this morning. So they've, they've done a lot of church today. Um, and they're really chuffed to be at Globe Minis. So that's great. We're going to roam a little bit around the book of Acts this afternoon. So I'd like you to open to Acts chapter 1. When Jesus was on the um, mountain, when he was transfigured in blazing glory, it says that Peter and the others who were with him were really sleepy. And when they became fully awake, they saw his glory, the glory of Jesus. You might feel physically sleepy. This afternoon. But I know that we all suffer from being spiritually sleepy. But when we become fully awake, we will see Jesus' glory. Isn't that what we want, what we want this afternoon? So let me pray, and then we will read the glorious words of Jesus. Let's pray. We ask, Heavenly Father, that like on that mountain, this afternoon, you would wake us up. And being fully awake, we would see the glory of your son. You told us on that mountain that he is your son, whom you have chosen, and we should listen to him. And we pray that you'd help us to do that now by the power of the Holy Spirit who is in this room. Amen. Okay, Acts chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 6. Um, so we've got uh, the disciples and Jesus. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. Then they gathered around him, that's the disciples gathered around Jesus, and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who's been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. The audience have taken their seats, and the lights have gone down, and the curtains lift. The curtains which tantalized are now lifted to reveal the stage, the set, and the actors. And with that, the drama begins. The audience is enraptured as characters reveal themselves in conversations and arguments 
silences and intertwining actions. The drama gathers pace. The spectators forget they're even in a theater. It's as if they're in the play itself. Storylines that have been brewing now come to a climax. The actors freeze, the curtain falls, and the audience applauds. It's the interval. In the interval, the drama stops. You snap back into the mundane. You get an ice cream. You go to the loo. And you wait for the curtains to lift and for the drama to begin again. World history is God's drama of redemption. Time and creation itself are the stage on which God has been displaying his light, life, and love to us through this great drama. From the opening words, let there be light, to the downfall of the heroes, the Lord God, Lord God, call to the man, where are you? To the rush of adventure and hope, go to the land, I'll show you. To the shock of you'll conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. To the tragedy of crucify him, to the big reveal, he's not here, he's risen. And now to the climax of it all. 1 verse 9. After Jesus said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. The curtain falls on God's drama of redemption. It's the interval, right? The saving son of God, Jesus Christ, he's done his work. He's exited stage right. Now we know the drama is going to continue. He'll enter again when he returns. But now's the interval. The lights go up, the drama pauses, and we step out of the consuming wonder of the drama back into the mundane until the drama of Jesus Christ picks up again. And that's how it feels for us. That's how we can view our life as Christ followers. Jesus, he's ex exited stage right, he's ascended into heaven, and he's, he's now the interval, the bit where we wait for the drama to kick off again. My life, your life, in all its mundane ordinariness and in all its struggle and pain. Now isn't the action. Now isn't where it's at. We'd be right in thinking that if Acts was a really short book and stopped at verse 9, where Jesus ascends to heaven. But then these two men dressed in white appear and say something really important for us tonight. Verse 11. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Why are you standing around? Here's the context for what's happening. It's after Jesus has risen from the dead and he's told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem to receive the promised spirit so that they can go across the face of the planet witnessing about him. But they stopped. And they're staring into the sky as if the curtain has fallen, as if it's the interval. They're waiting for the drama of Jesus to continue when he comes back. And the two men say, why are you standing around staring at the sky from which Jesus will return? Yes, Jesus has exited stage right and he will re-enter in between though is not the interval. In between, the action continues. Tonight, we're going to take some scenes from the book of Acts. Now, if you, don't, if you don't know the book of Acts, it's basically what happened next after Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. 
It starts with Jesus ascending to heaven, as we've just read. But God's drama doesn't stop there. In terms of God's big drama of, of the Bible, the time period in Acts is the same time as which, in which we live. In between the ascension of Christ into heaven and his coming back from heaven, which we're still waiting for. We're still in that time, right? So we need to see now as Acts sees now. And then it will give us a perspective we need to serve God as we should. So tonight, God is saying with us to us through the book of Acts, now is not the interval of God's drama. Now is the action. So let's take a look at these scenes. The first thing we're going to see of the now in God's drama of redemption is that Jesus Christ is reigning. I think we've got some things. There it is. All right. Jesus Christ is reigning. You can turn to Acts 7 if you want. Uh, Acts 7 verse 54. We'll go there in a moment. So Acts starts with the exit of Jesus, with his ascension. Or does it? Maybe this is one of the ways we need to get our perspective right. Jesus hasn't left the stage. He's gone to a different part of the stage. You see, for a character who's left the action, Jesus sure does turn up a lot in the book of Acts. He does a lot of things. Now, there's one scene in particular that leaves us in no doubt that now is not the interval and Jesus hasn't left the action, and it's in Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7 and verse 54. Let me give you some context. Stephen, a man full of the Spirit, is in the Jewish court on trial for speaking against, they say, the God of the Jewish Scriptures. And he replied with a sermon in his defense, and it ignites his accusers in hatred. And that's where we're going to pick up the action. Acts 7 verse 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid aside their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he said this, he fell asleep. Okay, what's happening on the world part of the stage? It's carnage, isn't it? It's absolute carnage. Powerful men are grinding their teeth in unhindered wrath because of Stephen's testimony about Christ. But Stephen lifts his eyes and sees another part of the set, a place we've already heard about tonight. Verse 55, Stephen looked up to heaven. Remember chapter 1? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven. So who are we primed to see in heaven? 
we don't get disappointed. Stephen looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. Of course, heaven is the, the palace of God, the place of his unchallenged rule. And Stephen also sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God, referring to God the Father. When we saw Jesus ascend to heaven in chapter 1, was he exiting the drama? Had the curtain fallen and the interval begun? No. Verse 55, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up into heaven and saw Jesus doing something, standing. Where's he standing? At the right hand of God. Jesus, the Son of God, has returned to God the Father, not to do his makeup in the dressing room, but to stand in action, ready to help his servant Stephen. Jesus stands at the right hand of God in the palace of heaven. The right hand is the place of rule and authority. Below is a corrupt law court that's condemning Stephen to death. But above in heaven is the Son of Man with resurrection authority, standing to vindicate his witness. Verse 56. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. The curtain has not fallen. The heavens are open. And from the open heavens, Christ the King rules and reigns on earth below. Think about Stephen, though. As the stones connected with his flesh and his bones... Did his experience tell him that Jesus was still in the action or that he'd exited the stage? His experience tells him, Jesus has abandoned me. But he lifted his eyes and by the Spirit could see that now, right now, Jesus Christ is reigning. I enjoy courtroom dramas on TV. The thought of yelling, objection, Your Honor, sounds fun. But I wouldn't like to be in a real law court on trial for being a Christian. That's amazing, actually, how much of the book of Acts just takes place in courtrooms, all sorts of different ones. The sheer number of human rulers in Acts would make you think they were the ones running the show. Pharisees, Sadducees, the ruling council, the Sanhedrin, the Roman proconsul, Annas the high priest, Ananias the high priest, jailers, centurions, lawyers, elders, the governor Festus, the governor Felix, King Agrippa, Herod, even Caesar himself gets a mention. Why all these rulers? To show that while they might think that Jesus Christ is absent and that this is their moment to squash this religious movement once and for all, in reality, not one of them is ruling. Above and supreme over all courts and thrones is heaven, where Jesus of Nazareth has been raised by the Father in royal majesty to receive from the Father all dominion. The absence of Christ on earth means his presence in the palace of heaven. If the Prime Minister came to visit Hull, Prime Minister this week is Rishi Shunak, right? Came, came to Hull, which is where I live at the moment, did the meet and greet, had, uh, I have her written here, because actually I gave the sermon a few weeks ago. Anyway. <laughs> 
it, it aged quicker than I expected it to do. So imagine uh, Rishi um, came to Hull, did the meet and greet, had his important meetings, and then went back to Downing Street to meet with his cabinet to pass new laws that would help the city of Hull. It would be really odd if back in Hull we started complaining that the Prime Minister hadn't stayed in Hull but had come back to London. It's by returning to number 10, to Parliament, to the seat of power in this country that the PM can affect change in Hull. Yeah? Heaven is the seat of cosmic power. Christ's ascension into heaven means he's standing in the seat of authority, divine royal rule. He left this part of the stage for that part of the stage, not to do less, but to do more for us. Now Jesus is in heaven, it's all happening. Now it's all kicking off. Amanda, we need to know that. We need to see what Stephen saw. Because it can feel like Christ is doing his interval makeup until his return while we get pummeled down here. Tonight, do you see what Stephen saw? He saw reality. What are the earthly powers and authorities that are hitting us? What is it in your life? It could be the hard power of lawmakers and their laws against us as Christians. It could be the soft power of cultural influence that makes us feel afraid, like we're hearing about in France, like we feel here, right? Makes us think twice about speaking up about Christ, even letting people know we're a Christian. You ever thought twice about that? I found myself, since returning to England, thinking twice about it. It could be the figures in our lives or, or family and friends who hate our Christ. The pummeling of sin we thought we were done with. The power of Satan we thought had been defeated. There are a significant number of people in our churches across this country who are refugees, who cannot live in their home because of people with terrifying power. Maybe you're one of those refugees. It may be utter carnage for us and for the church on earth, but take courage. We are in the thick of God's action, at the heart of God's redemptive drama. Christ is reigning. That's our first scene, our first thing to see. Second, the Spirit is being given. At the same time as celebrating the ascension of Christ, we feel his absence, don't we? And presence is surely better than absence, isn't it? With smartphones now, we have the Star Trek power to beam people in. To, to where we are. I don't know if you've had this experience maybe in the museums in London where people go around the museum with like family members on WhatsApp. Maybe you've done it. And you're like, you know, here's a mummy, you know, showing them the exhibitions. And you don't think that has got to be a really bad museum experience to, to see it through a phone. Anyway, people do it. But we cry out for physical presence. It's not enough to have people on the end of, the, on the end of a phone. And there's a cry in the book of Isaiah that goes like this. Oh, that you would tear the heavens open and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. 
Christ Jesus has gone up into heaven to rule. But God, oh, we're down here and it's carnage. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. Acts chapter 2. Let's turn there. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Here's the context. So Jesus has gone up on the clouds into heaven to rule. On earth below, the disciples are all together. Now there's full 12 of them after replacing Judas. They're in Jerusalem, which so far has been the center of God's drama of redemption. Let's see what happens. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. That's wild, what just happened there. Yet at the time, it's, same time, it's very familiar. We'll get to that in a second. First of all, let's just work through the details. Verse 2, we get a sound like the blowing of a violent wind that filled the whole house, okay? So this is no gentle summer breeze. It's a hurricane in a house where it says they were sitting, which I imagine they weren't doing for very long, <laughs> with this wind filling the whole house. Where did the wind come from? From where? Heaven. Came from heaven. There it is again. Heaven is the place of God's glory, presence, and rule. Christ has gone up there, chapter 1, but now something is coming down from there to earth. We don't know what it is yet, because we haven't got to this before. Verse 3, okay, look at the details. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Okay, this is getting a little wilder, fire on their heads. But it's not burning them up. Isn't that weird? No one's sticking their heads in buckets of water to extinguish the flame. This is awesome and wild, but not destructive. And it seems personal. Tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Verse 4, we get the big reveal. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. What's happening? It's the filling of the Holy Spirit, the promised gift. The heavens have been torn open and God has come down. I said this is both wild and familiar. It's wild for pretty obvious reasons. It's familiar because in the Bible, wherever you get any combination of God's people all in one place, violent winds or thick clouds, fire that doesn't burn things up, what you have is God coming down from heaven to earth. And that's exactly what we have here. So let me ask, does this sound like the interval? <laughs> Does it sound like the interval? If you've ever been to the theater or the panto or a concert, is the interval the moment the announcer says, are you ready to be blown out of your seats? And yet it's after Jesus' ascension that we get the blow you out of your seats moment. 
That's our time after Jesus' ascension. But wait, does that mean that every day is meant to be a bit like the day of Pentecost? Because it sure doesn't feel like it. <laughs> no. And you're not throughout the book of Acts. It's just not like this day. There's no more fire, no more wind. Pentecost is like this because it's the opening show. It's the grand entrance. This is the you-can't-miss-it start of God's empowering presence with his people in the Holy Spirit. This happened to the 12 then for us today to see here. So that we ordinary Christians in London, 2,000 years later, can be assured that now, this time, it's not the interval. We live in the same time as the 12, between the ascension of Jesus and his coming back. Now is the action. Now we have this spirit too. How can we be sure of this? Peter says so. He says this to the crowd later on in chapter 2. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Now, I'm pretty sure that we qualify as those who are far off. We are a long way from this moment in Acts in Jerusalem in so many ways. But the promise of the Spirit is for those who are far off from that time and place. It's for those who feel like their lives must be an irrelevance to the plan of God. The Spirit is for those who wonder if anyone notices them. For those on the edge of society. For those whose ethnic group gets sidelined. For those so aware of their sin and shame and plain ordinariness that we think our lives must be a footnote to a footnote in God's drama. This promise is for all whom the Lord our God will call. No exceptions. As personally as each tongue of fire rested on each disciple, the Holy Spirit today rests on you and me as a gift, as the gift from heaven. Don't you want to be in the middle of the action? Don't you want your life to be part of something extraordinary? Be a Christian. The gracious relief is you don't need to be a spectacular person. You don't need to exceed your limits and make it onto the telly. You simply have to turn from your life against God. That's repenting. Get baptized in Jesus' name and all your sins will be forgiven by God. And though we don't see it this way with our eyes, the heavens will be torn apart and God the Spirit himself will set up home in us. Now is not the interval. The Spirit's being given. Third thing, final scene. The word is advancing by grace. That's what's happening right now. You can turn to Acts chapter 11.
We'll get to that in a second. You know, some people are always looking for the latest strategy. Do you know people like that? Always wanting the silver bullet to make more money quicker or whatever it is in your line of work or study or whatever it is you do. Always looking for the silver bullet. If you want to find an industry of silver bullets, look no further than the church. Churches and leaders around the world are in the business of finding the key that will make the church most effective at connecting and bringing people to faith, what we call evangelism. Everyone wants the evangelistic silver bullet. I hear the evangelism team were meeting this afternoon. Don't you want the silver bullet, the thing that you can do that'll just solve all your problems and bring everyone in? If you follow this, your church will grow. But in the book of Acts, this is basically how it goes, right? It goes like this. God's people make plans and strategies to share the gospel. Chaos ensues. Christ works it out in the end and people get saved. Right? That's what happens. Thinking carefully about how best to connect with our world is really important. But usually, after we've done that, we have a go. It goes in completely unexpected directions. And out of the chaos, God saves people. This is because Christ is reigning, the Spirit's being given, and so the word by grace advances. It's just what happens. And this is like a refrain in Acts. The word of God, the message about Christ, it does stuff. It advances. It's where the action is. Let's see it in Acts 11 verse 19. This is just like one episode, one example. Acts 11 verse 19. Now, those who've been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad. And they encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Notice the chaos at the start in verse 19. Those who'd been scattered by the persecution that started with Stephen. Remember that? Stephen, his stoning, just the start. All the Christians scattered. No one plans that. They scattered doing what, though? Spreading the word as they went, including, verse 20, some unnamed heroes who spoke to non-Jews, Greeks. What, what did they do? Really simple. Telling them the good news about Jesus. So we've got the chaos of persecution. We've got normal people sharing the good news. How does that amount to anything? Verse 21. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. The Lord Jesus in heaven takes those spoken words in his hands and thrusts them into the hearts of those who hear and believe. And then Barnabas is sent just to check it out. Verse 23, it says, when he arrived, and it's one of my favorite phrases in the whole of the book of Acts, saw what the grace of God had done. Huh. 
How on earth do stupid sounding words about a crucified Messiah rising from the dead have an effect on anyone? How does the smashing up of the church end up with the growth of the church? The grace of God does things. It doesn't always look like the grace of God does things. In my life so far, I've personally led three people to Christ. Loving them, sharing the word, seeing them turn to Jesus. One on the estate just next door to here. And as far as I'm aware, none of them are still following Christ. So much for the professional missionary. I've tried with so many friends and family, and colleagues, and neighbors, and strangers, the amount of Bibles I've given away on trains, just chatting to people. (coughs) And sometimes I wonder, does it work? In my experience, it's like the curtains have come down, and God's drama of redemption has taken a break in my life. But, But then there's the book of Acts, where at every moment where the church seems most likely to be wiped off the face of the planet, it grows. The word of God advances, and grace does things. And also, there's us here in this room. There are the nameless heroes who told us the good news of Jesus. And the Lord's hand was on them, wasn't it? And the grace of God did things in us. It must work. And then there's stories like this one I heard recently. Out of the chaos of COVID-19, an ordinary new Vietnamese Christian believer starts sharing her faith on TikTok. And people get saved, and 12 people get baptized, and a new church has been planted out of those people. (laughs) And so based on this scripture and on our stories, we've got to believe he'll do it again, haven't we? These may be the days of small things, but let us not be coaxed into thinking that these are the days of no things. Now is the action. By faith we confess that the heavens are open and Christ stands reigning. By faith we believe the heavens have been torn open and the spirit given to empower us to keep testifying. The faith, by faith, we know that this ordinary and often painful time we call the Christian life is the center of the action of God's grace in our world. So let's pray to him. Let's pray now. Father God, Lord of heaven and earth, we are those who confess that Christ is risen, Christ is reigning, and Christ will come back. He is not only the one who was and is to come, but we confess today he is the one who is. Lord God, our lives feel so plain 
so insignificant in the grand scheme of things. Our churches feel so empty of power. Help us to believe what you've told us tonight. Help us to see what Stephen saw. Strengthen us by your spirit who has been given to us to live ordinary lives of extraordinary faithfulness to you. And use us, King of heaven, to witness along with all our brothers and sisters around the world and through the ages. And we beg of you, Lord, may these be the days when we see your grace do great things for your glory alone. Amen.